The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. We have a very special program for you today, a full-hour program, and we're going to focus on Yom HaShoah, which is Holocaust Remembrance Day. This is a memorial day for those who died in the Shoah, which is also known as the Holocaust. And in our first half hour, I have two guests, Jake Dinnerman, who participated in the March of the Living, which is an annual educational program bringing students from all over the world to Poland in order to study the history of the Holocaust and to examine the roots of prejudice, intolerance, and hate. Also on the program is Lillian Birch, an adult child of a Holocaust survivor, and she speaks often for the Holocaust Education and Resource Center. Also, she visits many schools and temples each year to tell her parents' story. Welcome, Lillian, and welcome, Jake. Thank you. All right. All right. Um, Lillian, I'm going to start with you. I know okay. that, that you are uh, the child of a Holocaust survivor, and your story is very interesting because your mother um, was uh, a recipient, should I say, or a survivor of Dr. Mengele's experiments. He was a well-known doctor in that era or in the Holocaust who did lots of experiments on fertility in women, and most of the women died. And your mother had an experiment, and yet she got married and had you. And that's really a miracle story. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Mengele wanted to find what he thought of as a solution to the Jewish problem. Mm. And he thought if he could sterilize Jewish women, uh, that would be his solution. And he had a building at Auschwitz where he housed about 200 young women and fed them chemicals uh, and did terrible things to them, surgeries and whatnot. And my mother was one of those people experimented on and survived. She was told that because of what was done to her that she would never, ever be able to have children. Mm -hmm. And yet she did indeed get pregnant with me. Mm. Um, she actually thought that she miscarried after a couple months in, and then at four months, she and my dad went to the movies, and I started kicking, at which point mm. they knew they had a viable child. Mm. We think now that perhaps I was meant to be twins, mm. and that one one of the twins uh, did 
miscarry, and I was left behind to be their miracle. Wow. When you think about this, when you think about the bigger picture, how it really was a miracle, does that make a difference for you and how you live your life? Oh, totally. Um, First of all, as a a child, I was always aware um, that I was, in fact, a miracle of sorts, which uh, gives you a different perspective on life. Um, Mm -hmm. As an adult, I have tried to think about what kind of person I want to be and what I want to do with my life to make it of value, to make it worthwhile. And I have focused on speaking for the Holocaust Center to tell my parents' story. And my other major focus is on feeding the hungry, which was another one of the uh, things my parents were very much about. Mm -hmm. So I try to tell their story to focus on the dangers of being prejudiced, the dangers Mm -hmm. of having stereotypes, how much how more important it is for us to live our lives with tolerance, with kindness. Hmm. Very important values. Uh, I'm going to switch over to you, Jake, because I and I want to tell a little bit about your story as well. Um, you're a freshman at Clark University, and yep. you were interested in this program, the March of the Living, which is a program uh, that goes every year to. Is it? It's Poland, correct? Yep, it's a week in Poland, and you visit various concentration camps um, throughout Poland. Um, and then the highlight of that week is basically um, everybody on the trip, which is thousands of kids, international kids, um, get together and they march um, in solidarity from Auschwitz mm. to Birkenau. Now, Lillian is an adult child of a Holocaust survivor. You are third generation because I learned today that your grandfather was in the Holocaust in a mm. camp. Now, was he in a camp? No, he was actually, he was never in a camp. His um, his parents were sent to a camp. However, he was lucky enough to be able to stay with um, his neighbors for a while until it eventually became too dangerous, and he they had to basically mm-hmm. release them, at which point he lived in the woods for two years um, mm. all by himself, basically. Wow. That's amazing how he survived in the woods. That could be a whole that could be a whole interview with you just on that. So here's I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Lillian, which is hearing that story and knowing your grandfather and being part of this. It's another generation down because you're the grandchild. How has this impacted your life in terms of what you believe in and what your purpose is and your mission in life? Um, I think what is really important to take out of it is that everybody has has these choices you know he had the choice to survive when he could have easily given up in the woods he had probably thousands of opportunities to just basically throw in the towel but he didn't he you know persevered and he made that choice to come to america eventually when the war was over and start a family which gave me the opportunity to have a life and out of that like i just really want to show that everybody has that choice and now more than ever people have the choice to be a perpetrator a bystander or a hero and it's really through trips like the March of Living and Education that people can be come in, um, informed about this and be able to make that choice if 
um, an opportunity like that, unfortunately, is mm. Has it made you more goal-driven or purpose-driven at a younger age, do you think? I'm sorry, what? Has it made you more purpose-driven at your age? Than I it- think so. I, I definitely think so because, I mean, initially that was um, the reason that I went on the march. I, I grew up with this legacy of him behind me, and I always felt as if, I wanted to carry it on for him when he wasn't able to anymore, you know? So that would have made me to go to the march at a, um, a young age. I always knew that I wanted to do that. And then now I'm actually, um, studying Holocaust and genocide studies at Clark University, mm-hmm. um, in part because of what he has given to me. Mm. Now I want to ask you both this because this holiday that is, it's not a holiday, it's a celebration and commemoration called Yom HaShoah and it is to remember, it's Holocaust Remembrance Day and actually we are going to be having a celebration, there will be celebrations all around the world, won't there during this day? Yes, there will. Yes, there there will be, but there will also be one uh, actually where I'm located in our area, which is Providence, Rhode Island. And there will be a celebration uh, of this at Temple Emanuel in Providence. And this will be April 7th. And this year they're going to focus on the Wausau Ghetto Experience. And we're going to be talking more about the program. But speak to both of us about your uh, experience with Yom HaShoah. Why is this an important day and how do you participate in it? Lillian, I'll start with you. Well, it's an important day. Because, one, we need to honor the memories of all the people who did not survive. They had very few people to speak for them that are left, and they suffered so greatly, and so many of them, their families don't even know where they're buried or what happened to them. So we need to remember them. We need to speak for them and honor them. And we need to honor the ones who did survive and suffered so greatly. I know that my parents were quite concerned that once they passed away, their story would be forgotten. So we Mm -hmm. honor them by speaking of it. And also, I think a very critical part of, of having a commemoration is to make sure that we do what we can so that it never happens again, Mm -hmm. to be a voice for reason, for tolerance Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, so that's why I believe it's terribly important to remember every single year. Yeah, you know, I, I have to add a, a story here. I interviewed the Bielski family. They were in the movie, well, it was the story in the movie Defiance. And uh, the, the two freedom fighters, the brothers, Tuvia as well as Zeus, Bielski, um, were freedom fighters, and they lived in the woods for three years, and they created a whole community. And the adult daughter, I mean, the, the, the two freedom fighters have been gone for a while, but the four children of the, um, of the freedom fighters, of the Bielskis, were, were speaking on my show on an interview, and the daughter started crying at the very end of the interview, and she said, I don't want people to forget, because the last of the survivors are now we never want people to forget what happened, which is exactly what you're saying, Lillian. Yeah, and if I could just add also, one of the messages that I try to impart from my mother's story, uh, Jake referred to it as making choices. I think of it as living with hope. Um, mm. I asked my mother many times when she, about 
her experience in Auschwitz and how she survived. What enabled her to put one foot in front of the other when day after day was horrible and there was no end in sight. And she said the people who didn't have hope died. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to put that message out there, too. I I taught in inner city schools all my adult life, and many of those kids live without hope. And that is the main reason why I do this program. When people, if If I were to describe why I do this work, it would be one word, and that's hope, because that's what we need to give people. Very well said. Jake, Thank I want to switch to you and ask you your feeling about the this celebration, Yom HaShoah, the importance of it, your participation in it, your thoughts. Um, I agree with Lillian 100%. I think um, something major to point out is during the Holocaust, people's humanity was taken away from them. They were referred to mm-hmm. as bugs, mice, rodents, um, oh. And by remembering them, we are given an opportunity to rehumanize them, to give them back their humanity. And even if all that's left of them is an old photo or a shoe, a single shoe sitting in Auschwitz right now in the museum, by remembering them, we're giving them back something that was taken away from them over 50 years ago. Um, even more than that, I think it is important. It's an opportunity to teach kids today about what happened. So once again, you can go into the future vowing never again, like this will never happen again. Um, and I think that is incredibly important to point out. Um, also, the fact that, like, you can't just focus on the negative. You have to focus on the positive. This is a triumph. Like, mm-hmm. as many people that died, there were people that lived, and we also have to celebrate that life and the life of their descendants um, because, after all, we're still here. Mm, absolutely. Now, this year's um, celebration is going to focus on, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I should say the word celebration or commemoration, but it's going to focus on the Warsaw Ghetto. Now, Jake, were you at the Warsaw Ghetto or a different one? Um, we were at um, the Krakow Ghetto. Okay. And Lillian, have you been back? Have, I mean, have you been to the Warsaw or one of the ghettos? Yes. Actually, I did the March of the Living um, three and a half years ago. And we did go to what's left of the Warsaw Ghetto, which is a very small piece of wall mm. that they have a plaque um, by. But I, I did do the march as well, and it's a wonderfully empowering experience. Why do you think the focus uh, is important on the Warsaw Ghetto? I think it's important because many, many People uh, now and over the years have seen the Jews going to the camps and as lambs to the slaughter. Mm. And I don't think enough has been made of the acts of courage, of defiance, where Jews fought and didn't just go like lambs to the slaughter. Um, we need to show all those instances as well where there was resistance, Mm. where people fought as hard as they could for what they believed in, even if they did end up dying, as as most people did, at the Warsaw Ghetto. Mm. Jake, your comments about this? Um, Like Lillian said, I think it is because um, there were upwards of 300,000, 400,000 people in this ghetto um, and like, unlike the others, they did find out what was happening. 
to them, and they refused to give up. So against the Nazi army, like a whole army that was taking on the world, um, 300,000 Jews, or not even that many because some of them had been deported at this point, um, made whatever weapons they could, Molotov um, bombs and whatnot, and um, held up against this infamous army for almost a full month. And I think that's a testament to the will to live and hope. Um, I think that's an incredible thing. So I think that's why it's so commemorated. Um, also, I'd like to point out that that is not the only act of rebellion um, in camps. Things such as just giving gifts to other um, inmates or people in the camps, I think is important to mention. I was reading testimonies, um, and it was speaking of, you know, people giving gifts that they found just like a blade of grass or a little cranberry, they'd give it to somebody that they cared about. And in that way, they were rebelling against the Nazis as well, because as I mentioned before, they were trying to take away their humanity. And when they gave gifts like, and gifts like that and showed that they were still alive and they still had hope, they still cared, it showed that they were still human and the Nazis were failing. And if I could okay. add just yes. something to that, um, I believe, and Jake can uh, tell me if I'm wrong, that the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto actually the, lasted longer than all of Poland took to uh, for the Nazis to conquer. I believe yes. the people in the You're Warsaw Ghetto right. lasted longer fighting the Nazis. Mm. And also, um, as, as Jake said, not just little acts of kindness, but I think just surviving mm. amidst the horror of what they were experiencing. It's amazing. Incredible courage. What was your feeling, Lillian, when you were in the Warsaw Ghetto? What was your feeling? I felt an inc- incredible sense of pride in those people, an incredible sadness that they didn't live to see the end of the war and the survival of the Jews. Um, it was a very, very emotional experience for me. Mm-hmm. Could you feel the energy? Could you, you feel could, that you energy? You could. You really could feel it. Mm-hmm. Just like in the camps, you could feel the horror. Mm. It just surrounded you mm. like you were in a fog or a cloud. Mm. Or mm. Jake, your comments about you were in a different camp, um, your comments about how you felt. Yeah, um, I'd actually like to share a story um, because it's personally one of the most memorable parts of my trip to Poland um, was in the Krakow ghetto. And um, we had a whole group with us, um, the whole New England region, and we were sitting in the middle of the square um, that was part of the Krakow ghetto, and um, the leader of our trip was telling, reading this testimony of us um, of how when the Jews were being deported, there was an old man um, and his son and his wife, and the Nazis, he, the older man was blind, and um, the Nazis separated him from his family, so he had no idea where to go. He couldn't walk too well, and the mm. Nazis literally played with him. They called him in a different direction every couple of seconds, and he'd fall down, but he mm. continued to get up. And um, ironically, after that, um, after that testimony, the, um, the group from Toronto um, that was also on the march was in the ghetto um, square with us, and mm. we sat there for about a half an hour after somebody picked up a guitar, and they started playing, and we started singing and dancing where this man had once fallen because of mm. the Nazis. And I think that was... One of the most powerful parts of the trip for us was just 
Oof. like in this country that is Oof. that still has very um, anti-Semitic ideals. Um, a group of probably 200 Jewish teens sing and dance um, mm. for over a half an hour. Wow, I can feel that. Just what you said, what amazing. And that's and you know that and you knew that was the spot where he was. Um. Yes. Yes. That's where they had um, people being deported. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a few minutes left. I'd like to ask you both this question: What do you think is the application of all of this to today, to our world today? What's the lesson for now and for what's happening now? Um, either one. Um. You can go first. Uh, I can go first. Okay. Well. <laughs> In, in a, it's terrible to think, but I believe that civilization has not gotten that much better. We still have Holocaust in Africa, Darfur, we've had Rwanda. People still hate and people still fight over tribal loyalties or ethnic, racial, religious, uh, sexual reasons. And it's wrong. Look what happens when you hate. I think we need to move forward and do all we can to make the world a more peaceful place, a more accepting and tolerant place where we treat each other with mm-hmm. kindness. Uh, one Rosh Hashanah, the rabbi, may, uh, in his sermon said, there are three words or four words to live by that you should take with you. The first one is be kind. The second one is be kind. And the third one is be kind. Mm-hmm. We need to be kinder, yeah. more accepting, uh, and not look at people who are different from us with anything other than acceptance. Mm-hmm. Beautifully stated. Jake, application um, for today in today's world and where we are and the future. Um, like Lillian stated, um, there are still genocides going on today. They may not be in the news, but they happen. And, um, like, there's a quote, actually, and it says, the road to Auschwitz was built on hatred, but paved with indifference. And that really resonated with me because um, I think there will always be hate in the world, no matter what you do. You can try to be as kind as um, you can be, and I think that's awesome, and you should thrive to do that. But... No matter what you do, there will always be disagreements. But one thing that you can ensure is that through education, it's different. So when things like this happen and hate sprouts up, people will be there and they won't just say, like in the Holocaust, oh, it's not as bad as you think, like somebody else will handle it. No, you have to be there and you need to be brave and you can't be indifferent towards it because that's how we're going to solve these problems and make sure that tragedies and atrocities don't happen again. All right. Closing question, and this one's an interesting question for you both. Lillian, what do you think your mother would say about all of this if she were here now? Uh, What would be her message? What would be her message? uh, What would be your mother's mother's message? My mother's message would be family. Value family. Value your friends that you think of as family. It's all about people, about being good to each other. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about taking care of one another 
as best you can, even when it's not easy for you. That would definitely be her message. That was beautiful, and thank you. Jake, what would your grandfather's message be? I think that it would probably just be one of life, that you just have to cherish life, whether it be of your family or your friends or your pet, your animal, um, or somebody that you don't know on the street. I think just value their life, realize that they have their own tribulations that they're going through, their, their own successes, their own failures, and you have to be aware of that and be aware that um, despite the situation, I think everybody does have good in them, and once you can appreciate that, you can appreciate them for being a person. Well, I want to thank you both. Any closing thoughts, Jake or Lillian? Lillian, a cup, do you have any closing thoughts for us today? A message you would like to leave our listeners with? Oh, my goodness. Well, I would like to... Um, I, I don't know if I... I think I've kind of absorbed my mom's feelings. Um, I would like to tell people to pay it forward. Help mm-hmm. one another. Um, feed the hungry. Take care of the sick. Be there for each other. Um, All right. Be, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know that, that that's about it. All right. Jake, your message. We've got about a minute. Your message. Um, I just Jake's think what message. I, <laughs> what I can say is um, don't sit back and let things happen before your eyes. Make sure you're aware of everything. Make sure you get out and learn as much as you can about these topics and any other topic for that matter. Um, learning doesn't happen in a vacuum. Get as many different perspectives as you can because that's the way that you truly learn and through that you become more aware and that's the way to um, stop atrocities like this and just make this world a better place in all, I think. I want to thank you both so much for being on the program. And I want to thank say Lillian, Lillian Birch is the adult child of a Holocaust survivor. Her mother was in the Holocaust. And so it's wonderful to have her voice as a, as a child of a survivor. And Jake Dinnerman, whose grandfather was in the Holocaust. He lived in the woods for two years. And he's a freshman at Clark University. And it's wonderful to have your voice, Jake. And I know that you were on the March of the Living. Uh, and, and you have done that before. And it was a really wonderful trip for you. And you're very dedicated to this. And so we are really talking today about Yom HaShoah, which is known as Holocaust Remembrance Day, which will be on April 7th. And we'll be celebrating it locally here in Providence, Rhode Island at Temple Emanuel. And coming up next, we will have two people who will talk about the celebration this year, Judith Jameson and Rebecca Brenner. Again, thank you so much to both of you, Lillian Birch and Jake Dinnerman. Thank you, Patricia, for having us on the program. Thank you. Wonderful. All right, folks. We're going to switch over now, and we are going to talk to two folks, two women, who were part of this year's commemoration here in, in our local area in Providence, Rhode Island. And they are Rebecca Brenner and Judith Jameson. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Patricia. How are you? And hi, Judith. Hello. Good afternoon. All right. Now, let's uh, talk about today. We're going to talk now about what is going to happen at this celebration. It will happen worldwide, but specifically what we're going to be doing here in our area. And Judith Jamison uh, is a member of the board of the Holocaust Education and Resource Center in Rhode Island. She's a recipient of the Never Again Award, 
which honors people who work to eliminate anti-Semitism and promote awareness of the Holocaust in the community. She is also an active member of NCCJ, now the RICJ, Rhode Island Community and Justice, and is a leader at Central Congregational Church in Providence. And she also traveled to, uh, with Temple Emanuel to Prague and Israel a year ago when they visited the former concentration camp at Turetzen. And Rebecca Brenner is a member of Temple Emanuel in Providence. She's the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And Rebecca, you also went with the group to Prague. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Yes, you were also part of that group uh, that visited the former concentration camp at Turetzen. Welcome to both of you. <coughs> Glad um, to be here. Yes, Judith, I'm going to start with you. Um, now, let me ask you. Now, you are a member or you are, you are on the board of the Holocaust Education That's and right. Resource Center, yes, but you're also a leader at the Congregational Church. Yes, in Providence, Central Congregational. Um, I'm chair of the permanent diaconate, which means I have been a deacon. Uh, and now I'm a permanent deacon. <laughs> That's what we do with folks. Um, and I've been at the church for, well, since probably the early 1980s. So uh, I my, make one my question to you, my first question to you is why the strong involvement in the Holocaust? You are not Jewish. No. Uh, there were many people affected beside Jews, and we know that. But Jews were very affected, and you are a very strong promoter. Please tell us why. Uh, it's a fairly simple answer, and in that, my basic academic background is German studies. So I have been involved with all matters and, and issues of Germany, uh, basically 19th and 20th century. So I come to the subject from, from that direction. Mm -hmm. And in addition, I had lots of Jewish friends growing up, uh, and more recently, as dean of the night school at Providence College, uh, I helped bring in uh, students from the local yeshiva, the New England Rabbinical College, who wished not only to do rabbinical work, but also to take a secular degree, usually in business or accounting. So I've had a, a rather unique connection um, with various parts of the community in Providence and, of course, with the committee at Yom HaShoah. And Rebecca. Um, Rebecca, I know that yeah. you are a, a daughter of Holocaust survivors, and you also have been to this celebration at Temple Emanuel every year. Yes, I've been involved with um, the planning of Yom HaShoah programs for probably the last four or five years. So I have been involved for some time. Yeah. You know, I, I spoke with Jake and Lillian in the first part of the interview. Um, Lillian is an adult survivor. Her mother was in the, was in the camps, and Jake Dinnerman's grandfather was was part of this as well. He lived in the woods for a couple of years. You are also a an adult survivor. Was it your mother or your father or both who were in the camp? Well, both of my parents actually ended up in work camps um, and escaped to Russia, but both of them lost almost all of their families to mm -hmm. um, various different camps and just being shot on the street or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so they were more fortunate in that they escaped to Russia, although when I saw their pictures of them as youth, um, 16, 17, they looked like concentration camp mm -hmm. members. They were... My father weighed barely 100 pounds, and they had no food, and they had to work with no clothes and no shoes. And 
but it certainly wasn't the concentration camp of Germany or Poland. But then they lost so many of their own members of their family, and they were certainly touched in so many ways as than I was yeah. from this. Yeah, my question is, is the same question that I asked to, to Chicken Lillian, and that is, what is the impact of their life and their story? How has that impacted you in terms of your purpose and your mission in your life? Well, I think for me, it's just to be a fighter and that, to never mm-hmm. give up and to always just keep pushing and to keep working and to keep moving forward. And there are horrible things happening, but my parents did not raise me with the horrors. They raised me with the life and that mm-hmm. to keep giving life and to keep giving and to keep enjoying. And, you know, I'm very fortunate mm-hmm. because I still have both my parents who are in their 90s. Mm, and wonderful. They're still <laughs> enjoying life and yeah. being positive. But yet I had relatives who um, didn't raise their children with the same experience. Um, of course, mm-hmm. what I have learned is everybody has such a vastly different experience. And every person doesn't have one story but has 10,000 stories. As many. Yeah, and I asked this to Jake and Lillian at the end of the interview. I'm going to ask you at the beginning because I really want to talk about the celebration this year and what it entails. But the question is, if your mother and father were here now, what would be their message? What would they say about life? Well, they would say, enjoy it. And take all of it and, and do as much as you can and just live it full because you just don't know what the next minute has. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. really how I was raised is just keep going forth and flourishing. Keep going. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have this wonderful celebration that we do that's very multi-sensory and multi-media oriented with music and sometimes plays and videos and stories and, and trying to hit all aspects of there's so much mm-hmm. to tell and there's so much to remember and there's so much to educate people on. And that's really what we try to do. So, yes, it is a commemoration as well as an educational experience. Now, if I, this if year, I could, go, go ahead, because I want to talk about this If I could add something in there, um, yes. that indeed, uh, Rebecca's touched on something that's really important. This event uh, at Temple Emmanuel every spring really brings a broader community together. This is an ecumenical mm-hmm. um, moment and highly educational, particularly for the non-Jewish community who does mm-hmm. come and share and, and learn a great deal of what's going on. It's not usually a totally grim or dark event. In fact, there's a great deal of joy and song. Um, we want people to understand that in, in spite of this desperate moment in history, uh, as Rebecca says, you go forth and you flourish and yeah. you hope to inspire others the same way. Now, there will be a, a, the Cantor's Teen Choir. There will be stories from teens who speak about their experiences of March of the Living. Yes. And and then there will be a candle lighting. Yeah, and, that comes and, at and the a end. Res- and a recitation of the names of people who have passed through in the In our Holocaust. community. Correct? In this community. Yes. So share a little bit about that part of the event, Rebecca, and then go ahead, Judith. 
Um, well, you are, it, Judy first or Rebecca? Either one. Um, go ahead, well, Rebecca. it's it's powerful and it's it's not a happy event. It, I mean, you know, yes, they're singing and the choir is just amazing, but it's very contemplative. There's, you know, which I think it needs to be. We need to we need to sit with thoughts because this really was a real travesty that happened, and there aren't words for it. And I think what's so wonderful about the programming is that we don't always say it with words. We say it with stories. We say it with videos. Mm -hmm. We say it with song. And we say it with resuscitation of those who um, have perished in the community. And it's very powerful, and it's powerful, and you don't have to be a survivor related in some way. It's just a good day to come in and 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 try to be part of something and learn something and, you know, move forward. Can you speak to some of the music in terms of the Judith, types of music that will that? be there? Go ahead, That's, Judith. Uh, we have a superb harpist. Um, who who does play with us uh, usually for most events? Uh, sometimes an organist, uh, Patrick Aiken, and beyond that, uh, there is song. And I would I would add though that in addition to the the main bulk of the program, what really pulls it all together is the initial entry uh, to come up forward and light the main candles by survivors and uh, children of survivors. So immediately everybody in the congregation realizes, you know, what is the focus of the event. And at the end, then, we all take small Yaddisite candles. Um, and in past years, before so many of the folks became older, we would walk down to the Holocaust Center courtyard behind the JCC and uh, hear there the reading of the names. And I must accent that these names, uh, reading those in the community uh, who have been lost, relatives, uh, and the list grows longer, it takes at least 25 minutes for that to be, to be done. And that also has an impact, just listening to name after name of those mm. who, who didn't make it. Mm. And those are parents and grandparents and of uncles members and, of and the cousins siblings and nieces and, and nephews, yes, yes. Uh, okay. uh, that parish. Yeah, now, who have perished. Yeah, that has to be very powerful. It's the most hear. powerful part of the program, for me at least, uh, and I think for those who come for the first time, and especially for, for younger folks, uh, we have usually a class of Holocaust uh, uh, studies students at Providence College who participate, and invariably at the end of the, of the program, uh, many of them are just almost agog with the kind of impact that this program has had on them. Totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yes, for those who've been there for the first time. Yes, and hearing What about the, the music um, in terms of the types of songs, Rebecca? Well, they we try to, um, Mayor Cantor, Mayor, um, works generally with whatever the theme of um, is going to be. So mm-hmm. this year we're focusing on March of the Living and Poland, the Warsaw Uprising, and so the music will then be from that sort of time period. Mm-hmm. And each year it seems to, you know, just happen to fall into what we're, what theme of that year yes. is. Yes, and the theme is the Warsaw Ghetto Experience this year. Right. And the March. Right. 
and March of the Living, yeah. and um, and um, a couple, Jake, who you just had on, as well yes. as another person, Allison, who has gone on to the March and their experience. They're going to be telling some stories of that. There'll be some videos and footage mm-hmm. of the uprising of the um, Warsaw Ghetto mm-hmm. and the candle lighting and the music and whatever else. So every year it's a little different. I mean, yeah. there are stories oh, yeah. and there's a candle lighting and there's name recitation every year, but the the, the focus may be a little different. It may Correct. be a different part of the war or part, another area in Europe. Yes, last year, for example, we did a program based on liberators right. uh, and POWs and survivors. So we looked at the at the at the back end at, at the finish of of those fifteen years or so of, of desperation. Uh, and one year we've we've had people who who were uh, instrumental in getting people out of Central Europe. And, and who may not shift. have been Jewish? Who may have been not Jewish? Oh, they are. The Jaskowskis were not, um, and and many others were not. Yes. Uh, so we make it very clear that there was involvement from the non-Jewish community to to help and assist where they could, and sometimes it was quite miraculous what they were able to do. Mm. Judith, as as a student of German culture and German history. Where do you see all this today? I mean, in terms of how it happened and the way it happened then, you know, could it happen again? And what can we do? Well, part of answering whether it happens again, we are all acutely aware of genocides. Um, Mm -hmm. This kind of ethnic cleansing, if you will, um, seems not to have, have vanished. I think the, the answers of how and why it happened, uh, within the German state, Still is not clearly understood and probably never will be completely. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a frightening moment, um, for all of us in the West because it happened in the most educated, advanced, economically stable country, um, in Europe, uh, mm-hmm. where supposedly we were civilized and cultured and educated and uh, and yet it managed to happen right there and I think that's a very disturbing analysis and perspective um, for us to consider as we go forward so yes uh, we never must think that it won't ever happen again yeah. well wasn't it the fall of hard economic times that started this whole spiral well others have had hard economic times mm-hmm. and yes there are certainly some political and economic reasons. I don't deny that at all. Um, but nevertheless, it, it did happen uh, where, from a Western perspective, it shouldn't have happened. And, uh, uh, and where the population, where the Jewish population, was far and away the most successful, the most mm-hmm. integrated in all of you, Europe. You know, one of the things that one of the Bielski children, adult children, said, again, these were the freedom fighters, Tuvia and Zeus, and Mm -hmm. this is portrayed in the movie Defiance. One of the things that um, I think it was Robert Bielski said, just about what you said, Judith, in terms of the intelligence and the brightness of, uh, of of the Jews and many people as well, was that if you look at the number six million Think of what that would have been today. Who are the people that we lost? The brilliant minds, the scientists, oh, yeah. the artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of I mean, mm-hmm. multiply that because 
because again the um the survivors in the woods by the Bielski brothers i think they saved 1500 people 1300 people which mm-hmm. translates into 15000 today so do yeah. the math uh-huh. do the math what's 6 million today how many did we lose wow oh yes from yeah that's a statistic that uh, you can certainly assess and and consider again um but that's that's a very tragic uh, consideration and of course ironically the the very people who were who were either driven out early or were um taken off to the camps uh were the intellectual elite to a great extent and consequently much of what uh, german science and and uh, war design could have been been to our detriment at least it didn't happen because the people who might have contributed were were shunned and uh, thrown away. And and I want to say, Judith, there were so many non-Jewish people, and there were there were quite a few that really saved lives of Jews. And today there are many Jewish people that are helping those folks in their older age. That's true too. And if you go to Jerusalem uh, to Yad Vashem, you will find the. Uh, uh, the walkway, uh, which is the way of the righteous, and that means those folks who were not Jewish, who did indeed risk their lives and, you know, frequently lose their lives in their efforts to save what they saw was this great crime that was taking place. And I think much of the Jewish community today does turn around and, and recognize and assist where they can, uh, those folks who, who now need their help. Rebecca, your comments. It's, well, I'm just listening and taking it in. It's, um, it's interesting. The New York Times yesterday had a huge, um, I don't know if you saw that, but they came out with all these other ghettos that were actually scattered throughout Poland and Germany that weren't even acknowledged. It's something like now Mm. more than 42,000 ghettos Mm. that weren't even really known about. They're discovering more and more. And I think to me it's just amazing that we're still learning Mm -hmm. so much of what really went on. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, I haven't read the article yet, but it has been pointed out to me. I will get Mm -hmm. to it tonight. But uh, I think it's very fine, Patricia, by the way, that you are promoting um, this program and uh, offering information on it that uh, they know it's going to take place in the spring and perhaps we'll have a, a packed house. Yes, and, <laughs> and to let people know, because this interview is, is national and global, is that there, there are other celebrations all over the country and all mm-hmm. over the world on April 7th. And so people can look that up. They can look up Yom HaShoah, which is Yom, Y-O-M, H-A-S-H-O-A-H, which is Holocaust Remembrance Day, mm-hmm. and, and, and be part of the celebration wherever you are. We're going to have quite a celebration here in Providence, Rhode Island, and I have attended, and it, and it is quite beautiful and um, very emotional, very emotional experience. Well, it's emotional, and we, we also hope it's going to be uplifting. Um, that uh, I, I like Rebecca's word, flourish, that that people who uh, who have survived and gone on and had families, that those families understand that uh, uh, not only do you keep going in life, but you hopefully do it with uh, with a flourish and with mm-hmm. hope and uh, and with optimism. Well, you can't stay stuck. 
You have to keep moving forward. You can't, yeah. you can't yeah. stay yeah. still. Yeah. Yeah. Judith, what is your message? I mean, as, as a student of German culture and as an active participant in this celebration, what's your message? What do you, yeah, what do you want was, people to get? I was listening to Jacob's answer, and uh, um, I think I would say that awareness and activism, I, I think the more we help the rest of the population become aware, and we certainly do that at the Holocaust Center by going out with survivors, speaking to large numbers of school children, both in middle and, and upper school, um, that people are aware and that, indeed, you become active. Uh, if you hear something said or read something that is, uh, um, is anti-Semitic or negative in any way, you do something about it. Um, and uh, I think as Lillian said that she, one of her activities is to, to go off and feed because so many people were so hungry. Um, yes, volunteer, not necessarily just on, uh, in Jewish communities, but just volunteer, recognize that society needs help, and the more one can do that, you know, the better things will be. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, do you have, um, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but do you have a story something memorable that happened in your life that really brings this back, something maybe that your parents taught you or something that really affected you, That uh, maybe a lesson that you'd like to pass on? Well, it's interesting because so much of their family had perished that anyone who was remotely related, even if it was distantly, or a friend who had survived the Holocaust, became like a family member and so that I was raised almost in this group because Mm. of that. And Mm. um, so all these people who had made it to Chicago after surviving just stayed together. And, you know, I was just thinking of this today. My mother had one and father had this one friend and she was used and it, it came to me as I was listening to the show earlier when she was talking about the experiments, because this one friend of my mother's was used as an experiment and not in fertilization, but they slit her throat open and took her tonsils out that Mm. way with no anesthesia or anything, Mm. but she survived. And she had massive scarring. And when she would come to our house, she was so damaged. It was sad. But my Mm. parents just... You know, she's been through a lot. She'd sometimes go upstairs and go through the drawers in our house. But my parents would just say, look, she's been through a lot, whatever. So I think, if anything, Mm -hmm. it was the acceptance that my parents passed along, that people have gone through so much, and you sometimes just have to um, listen, be present, accept. Mm, What a story. That's very good, yes. Mm. Very interesting. Judith, anything that... um that you'd like to share of stories that maybe someone told you that really affected you? Uh, I would say that that my college, uh, Albion College in Michigan, um, had a, a uh, an alumni trip to Poland in 2009, which I joined. And um, the... <laughs> The connection between those of us who were not Jewish on this trip to um, Birkenau, Auschwitz, and Treblinka, and some others, and those of, on the trip who were Jewish, that 
that connection and and the conversations that we had over dinner at night. Um, and then at the end of the trip, the students at Albion who take the Holocaust course go every year in the spring and are essentially rebuilding and bringing back um, the beauty of the of the Breslau Cemetery, Jewish mm-hmm. Cemetery. And we met mm-hmm. these students. And it occurred to me that, that this was truly remarkable, that young Christian kids in the Midwest would give up their vacation to get on a very expensive flight and go off to Central Europe and grub away in uh, overgrown weeds and muck and fallen tombstones. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, we have three minutes left, but I'm, I'm going to share. I have several stories because I've interviewed some amazing survivors, but one of the first interviews I did when I was doing television, and so I'm going back about 15, 20 years now, mm-hmm. was Rena Gellison. And Rena Gellison wrote a book with a, a non-Jewish woman who actually wrote the book for her. And the name of the book was Rena's Promise. And she and her sister Donka were in the first transport to Auschwitz. And her story is that she was standing in line with her sister, Danka, and she saw the commandant come in the line and start to pull people out. Mm-hmm. And she said to her sister, Danka, we've got to get out of line. This is going to, we're going to die. And Danka said, no. Oh, and Danka said, no, we'll die. And Rena said, well, we're going to die anyway. And she, she held her sister up and she says, now you hold your head up tall. And they got, somehow they got out of line. And they got to the place where the uniforms are, which they had to put on and make sure that everything was correct with their numbers. And they got back into the other line where all of the uh, the prisoners were, if you will. And they started moving around, so they confused everybody. And and what Rena said was, I felt as though my mother had taken my eyes and she had put a veil around me so that nobody could see me. We were invisible. And she said, Donka, we're invisible, we're invisible. And she told me later that that line was for Mengele's experiments and everyone in that line died. Oh. Oh, and she wow. was, it, it, I, I stayed friendly with her and her husband. She recently died. But she was such a positive woman, mm-hmm. and she had she had children, and I actually had them on the program, and um, she was just so happy for life. Yeah, amazing lady. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was really amazing. So, although I didn't have family in in the Holocaust, it's very close to me because I was born around the time that it ended. <laughs> so mm-hmm. sometimes I think I was there and came back. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you're a but, young you're a young person <laughs> compared yeah, to some of us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So I want to thank both of you. This is a very inspirational interview, and I want to say that we have been talking about the Yom HaShoah celebration. It's Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is coming April 7th of this year, 2013, and we're talking about the celebration that will be happening at Temple Emanuel in Providence, Rhode Island. This year's focus is on the Warsaw Ghetto Experience. The program in April will include a Cantor's Teen Choir, stories from scenes who speak about their experiences on the March of Living, and remembrance of Holocaust victims by survivors through candlelighting and names of their relatives who died in the Holocaust. And my guests for this half hour have been Rebecca Brenner, who is part of the celebration, and she also was the child of a Holocaust survivor, and also Judith Jameson, who's a member of the Board of Holocaust Education and Resource Center of Rhode Island, and she's a leader at Central Congregational Church in Providence. 
And I also want to thank Lillian Birch and Jake Dinnerman who were on in the first half hour. Thank you both. We and appreciate Patricia, being Thank asked. you so much for doing this yes, and yes. having mm-hmm. us on. Yes, well, much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, that wraps up um, our program for today. But if you want to know more, you can go onto the website of a teprov.org, I believe. Do you know if that's correct, Judith? Yes, I think, I it's think it te- is. teprov.org, and you, you can learn more, and you can contact Temple Emmanuel in Providence as well. You can also look up Yom HaShoah, which is the Holocaust Day of Remembrance. And again, this year it's on April 7th. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.